I really can't stay. But Harry, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. But Harry, it's cold outside. Ramilda, it's been so very nice. I'll hold your hands there just like ice. Ronald will start to worry. Beautiful, what's your Hermione hurry? will be pacing the floor. Listen to the fireplace So really roll. I'd better scurry. Harry, now please don't but hurry. But maybe just a butterbeer more. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for carolers. Hi, Harry said Ramilda Vane, the moment he had climbed through the portrait hole. Fancy a gillywater? No thanks, said Harry quickly. I don't like it much. Well, take these anyway, said Ramilda, thrusting a box into his hands. Chocolate cauldrons. They've got fire whiskey in them. My grand sent them to me, but I don't like them. Oh, right. Thanks a lot. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Welcome to The Quibbler. We are sorry our pitch isn't great. Uh, mine is not sufficient at all, I would say. <laughs> I can barely match pitch. You can't match pitch at all, yeah, actually. It's, uh, that's also, okay. that's a very polarizing Christmas carol. Yeah, it's hella problematic, but it's perfect for Ramilda Vane. <laughs> um, hello! This week we are reading the chapters called The Unbreakable Vow and A Very Frosty Christmas. In addition to Christmas carols that are possibly about date rape, this Oof. podcast will contain cursing and spoilers and some additional adult themes. One of the best fights on the internet is about whether that is about like date rape or like sex positivity. Whether she's like getting what she wants. I never want to be on the internet again. And some people are like, I will fight anyone to the death who doesn't think that like... This is a feminist Christmas carol? Yeah, so I don't know. I actually hate that Christmas carol. It's overexposed. I mean, the thing that's... And now we've given it even more exposure. The thing that's good about it is that it is a duet. And there's not a lot of Christmas carol duets, and duets are fun. They you just are. You can make any Christmas carol into a duet no, if you but want. It's... No, it's an actual... I know. I'm being obtuse. Yes, you are. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Our additional adult themes are holiday parties, tokenism, government cover-ups, nocturnal emissions, yes. and phonies. Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Ron and Hermione haven't been on speaking terms ever since Hermione attacked him with a flock of birds, which, you know, that kind of thing happens between friends. Harry and Hermione are discussing this while studying in the library when Hermione also tells Harry that he desperately needs to find a date to Slughorn's party because all the girls in school have been scheming to drug him with a love potion so that he'll take them. So that is a fucking development. Also, like... Every time Harry walks through the corridors, girls are, like, clustering under the mistletoe, hoping that they'll get a smooch from him. It's like people think mistletoe is, like, legally binding. I mean, in the wizarding world, it might be. That's We true. don't know. We never know. <laughs> but I feel like even in, like, high school movies, it's like, ooh, we're under the mistletoe. It's like, that doesn't actually erase consent. Yeah, I don't think I've been kissed or tried to kiss anyone underneath mistletoe ever. Really? Maybe Aww. we have. 
We should find some mistletoe. You've never kissed anybody under mistletoe? You were just mistletoe? railing against mistletoe. I know, but if you want to kiss someone, mistletoe is cute as hell. We don't need mistletoe to kiss. I wasn't railing against mistletoe. I was railing against non-consensual <laughs> kissing. Mistletoe is adorable if it's like, if you're both aligned on wanting to smooch each other. But then you don't, you don't need mistletoe for that. I know, but it's cute. All right, fair enough. I think consensual kissing is great, and if you are going to do it under a cute-ass plant, like, do you. Why not? Well, anyway, uh, it's highly possible that in the wizarding world, mistletoe is a binding magical contract. <laughs> That's true. Which, I mean... Fucking doxies come out of it and make you kiss. Ugh. Ugh. This is dark. Certainly there's some Harry Potter slash out there about this, but... Specifically about mistletoe? Well, if there's not, then I guess I should start writing some. Ugh. Anyway, everyone is scheming to drug Harry with a love potion. Uh, also, Harry has been having, shall we say, explicit dreams about Ginny. The content is not described, but Harry says he's very glad that Ron can't practice occlumency. So, that's a thing. Um... Also, Fred and George have been smuggling these love potions into the school via their new Owl Order service, so it's like Alamazon Prime. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> you think I'm a hoot. <laughs> oh, no. I laughed so hard at that one. You did. That sucked. I'm sorry, everybody. The reason that they're able to get these potions into the school is they're disguising them as perfumes and they don't set off Filch's dark detectors because they're not dark or dangerous, Hermione says. Even Harry in that moment is like, uh, speak for your fucking self. <laughs> not dangerous. <laughs> dangerous as fuck. Madame Pince interrupts them because I guess they've been talking too loud and then she freaks the fuck out when she sees Harry's copy of Advanced Potion Making because it has all the writing in the margins. So Harry's like, it's not the library's copy, it's mine. But she's like, don't write on books, you evil, depraved child. She doesn't like expel them from the library, but basically she's like, you're done here. She literally calls him depraved. Yeah, depraved. Hilarious. <laughs> so Hermione and Harry leave the library and speculate about whether Madame Pince and Filch are smashing. Which, Filch has a cat wife. They're not smashing. Maybe there's some unresolved tension there, but we can talk about this later. Back in the Gryffindor common room, Ramilda Vane, who is the most dogged of Harry's suitors, tries to unsubtly get him to drink some gilly water, and then she pushes some cauldron chocolates on him. Isn't gilly water, like, medicine? It's like an herbal tonic or something, I think. Like... It's supposed to be, like, refreshing. It's like ginger ale or something. Maybe. I don't know. But Harry wisely chooses not to partake. Harry then runs into Luna, who he invites to Slughorn's party on a lark after she talks about how she's bummed out that the DA is not meeting anymore because that was, like, her main social outlet. Luna also mentions that she heard Hermione crying in the bathroom because Ron was a fucking asshole to her in class. He was, like, mocking her and pretending to, like, raise his hand and stuff. Luna says, Ron Weasley's pretty funny, but he's kind of a douchebag. Harry's thinking, where's the lie? And then Peeves, the poltergeist, overhears this whole conversation and helpfully spreads the word that Potter and Lu that Potter and Looney are going to the dance, not the dance, are going to the party. 
Harry tries unsuccessfully to get Ron to apologize to Hermione for mocking her in class. At some point, Hermione reveals within earshot of Ron that she's going to Slughorn's party with but 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 motherfucking Cormac McLaggen. Douchebag. So that is the talk of the school. Pavardi Patil says, wow, you sure like your Quidditch players, don't you, Hermione? And Hermione goes, I like good Quidditch players. So, so petty. Intrigue, petty AF. Hermione's a petty queen um, and a jersey chaser, I guess. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's what we've seen so far. But there's a limited selection. It's Quidditch players or Neville. Oh, choose Neville. Go with Neville. Or Seamus. Or Seamus. Seamus wants to be a Quidditch player, though, on the Quidditch team. Yeah, but Seamus seems nice. Yeah. No, his, he was mean to Harry because of his Well, mom. anyway, Hermione is going with Cormac, so... Yuck. That's intriguing. Slughorn's party seems pretty lit. There's, like, celebrities there. There's members of the Weird Sisters. Like, I guess the Wizarding World's only rock band. Slughorn is wearing, like, a pretty sweet... What's he wearing again? He's wearing, like, a sweet, like, velvet suit, basically. With a velvet hat. Yeah. With tassels. <laughs> Hell yeah. You know, um... And, I mean, it seems bumping. There's, like, every... Like, you know, the cream of the crop are there. This party has everything. Vampires... Fortune tellers, I can't Mince do this joke. Mince pies. Mince pies, yeah. Slughorn introduces Harry to Eldred Warple, an old student of his who recently wrote a book about vampires. He's also there with an actual vampire, his friend Sanguini. Sanguini is the funniest name in Harry Potter. <laughs> Just like... Fucking Sanguini. This is my pal, Bloody McBlood Drinker. <laughs> Uh, who all the girls are kind of eyeing excitedly, so Sanguini is very exotic. Warple suggests to Harry that he write his biography. Harry's not really here for this whole networking thing, so he sort of, like, ducks Warple at some point. Luna is weird as fuck, as usual. She's talking to everyone at the party about the Rotfang conspiracy, which basically says that the Aurors are trying to take over the Ministry of Magic using a combination of dark arts and gum disease. Rotfang is a really good name for a conspiracy. <laughs> that blows Watergate out of the water. Yeah, it, out gate, of the Watergate. As it were. Gilly Watergate. Amidst all this revelry, Harry finds Hermione looking very disheveled after McClagan tried to get his Cormac on with her underneath <laughs> the mistletoe. This fucking mistletoe is causing no end of problems. Dude, yeah, Dumbledore should ban mistletoe. No, he shouldn't. You'd have you have to ban teens. Yeah, that's true. There's just a lot of little scenes at this party. Trelawney is drunkenly railing against Ferenz and calling him a horse. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting actually yeah, like, Trelawney keep it together she's uh like fucking wasted on cooking sherry as usual even though it seems like there's better drinks at the party but I she guess she pre-gamed yeah Trelawney pre-gamed hard but you know you've got your drink I guess so she's like sticking to it Draco is caught sneaking around the corridors after hours by Filch who drags him into the party to face punishment by the professors Draco says he was trying to gate crash the party which Harry finds extremely suspicious. Snape pulls Draco aside, and Harry follows under cover of the invisibility cloak. He then overhears a very suspicious conversation in which Snape is pressing Draco to find out what he was doing and says that he can help him if Draco just says what's up, 
Uh, Snape also tells Draco that he swore an unbreakable vow to protect him. So, dang, dude, is Snape up to no good? Who knows? Usually. <laughs> Harry and Ron spend Christmas at the burrow, where, of course, he tells Ron everything. Ron informs Harry that if you break an unbreakable vow, you die. Which, I mean, that follows. Harry's like, yeah, I worked that much out. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for Ron explaining this to me. <laughs> it's a cozy Christmas. Ginny petrifies a garden gnome and dresses it up like an angel. Everyone sits around the wizard wireless to listen to a performance by Molly Weasley's favorite singer, Celestina Warbeck, who sings A Cauldron Full of Hot, Strong Love. Ugh. And other wizarding favorites. Harry asks Mr. Weasley about work. It turns out that Stan Shunpike is still in jail. He was you might recall, accused of being a Death Eater. Mr. Weasley says he doesn't believe that Stan's a Death Eater, but the Ministry is just like arresting people because they want to look like they're doing something. So Scrimgeour is like suspended habeas corpus, basically. Harry also tells Mr. Weasley about the conversation he overheard Draco having with Snape. Lupin, who is also at the Christmas party, overhears... And he says, predictably, that Dumbledore trusts Snape, which should be enough for Harry, and that Harry is holding on to his father's grudge, and that Snape is, like, not that bad. We also learn that Lupin has been living among the werewolves, who Voldemort is trying to bring over to his side. Lupin's not having that much success, because there's this other super scary werewolf named Fenrir Greyback, who's, like, this werewolf extremist, who believes in biting as many people as possible so that wolves will one day, like, overrun the humans. And he's also the werewolf who bit Lupin. So there's some history there. And the werewolves basically think that they'll get a better deal under Voldemort. So, wizarding wedge issues. <laughs> Harry also asks Lupin if he knew anyone who went by the Half-Blood Prince while he was in school. Lupin is basically like, it's not your dad. The Half-Blood Prince is not your dad. Everybody gets Christmas presents. Ron gets a gold chain with the words My Sweetheart from Lavender Brown. Uh, Harry gets maggots from Creature. Awesome. But Fucking, that's a, that's a hot move on Creature's part. <laughs> I like it a lot. J.K. Rowling loves the not even passive-aggressive gift, just the aggressive gift. Nasty Christmas gifts are, yeah, one of her favorite weird little touches. Somebody must have given her, like, a fucked up present at some point. Maybe not. Or she just secretly wishes she could send someone like maggots and be like, ha ha. Merry Christmas, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> maggots for you. And then Harry gets a boner when Ginny tries to pull a maggot out of his hair. That's not actually described, but... It's heavily implied. We can read between the lines. At Christmas dinner, there's a knock at the door and it's... Ba -ba -ba, motherfucking Percy Weasley and the Minister of Magic. That's a double bup 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 motherfucking. Yeah, bup 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 motherfucking. Those two have come to Christmas dinner. Uh, Scrimgeour, all casual like, is like, yeah, we were in the neighborhood and Percy wanted to stop by and I want to talk to Harry Potter right now. <laughs> so Scrimgeour and Harry take a walk around the garden, which it seems like it's fucking cold outside, but whatever. During which... 
Scrimgeour asks Harry to publicly support the Ministry because having the Chosen One on the side of the Ministry would, like, give everybody a lift. He's like a source of hope and inspiration to the Wizarding World. Scrimgeour also tells Harry that Dolores Umbridge mentioned to him that he wanted to be an Auror, and maybe he could make that happen for him if... Harry, you know, pops into the ministry from time to time. Harry then says, no, I don't want to do that because that would imply that I support everything the ministry does, and I don't. Why are you holding Stan Shunpike? You're acting just like Barty Crouch Sr., not Jr., when he was, like, basically fucking violating everybody's civil liberties left and right during the first Wizarding War. He says, you people are all either like Fudge or like Crouch. There's nothing in between. And look at my fucking fucked up scar hand that says I must not tell lies. Fuck the police, basically. Scrimgeour says, Wow, you're Dumbledore's man through and through, aren't you? He's really done a number on you. Harry's like, yep, I'm Dumbledore's man. To which Scrimgeour replies, It must be nice to have Dumbledore on your side. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. So let's start with a little bit of a pensive because there's just a few kind of random things that we wanted to talk about. Number one, what the fuck is the deal with Madame Pince? They waited, and a moment later the vulture-like countenance of Madame Pince appeared around the corner. Her sunken cheeks, her skin like parchment, and her long hooked nose illuminated unflatteringly by the lamp she was carrying. The library is now closed, she said. Mind you return anything you have borrowed to the correct... What have you been doing to that book, you depraved boy? It isn't the library's, it's mine, said Harry hastily, snatching his copy of advanced potion-making off the table as she lunged at it with a claw-like hand. Despoiled, she hissed. Desecrated. Befouled. It's just a book that's been written on, said Harry, tugging it out of her grip. She looked as though she might have a seizure. Hermione, who had hastily packed her things, grabbed Harry by the arm and frog-marched him away. She'll ban you from the library if you're not careful. Why did you have to bring that stupid book? It's not my fault she's barking mad, Hermione. Or do you think she overheard you being rude about Filch? I've always thought there might be something going on between them. Oh, ha, ha. Yeah, this seems like another weird personnel decision by Dumbledore. We haven't really discussed this yet, but... Madame Pince seems perpetually aggrieved that students are using the library, which, she's the fucking librarian. Like, how did this job interview go? Was Dumbledore like, so, how do you feel about, like, kids and books? She's like, the one thing I really fucking hate is when kids touch books. <laughs> and he's like, and you're Dumbledore's hired. like, yeah, you're hired. It's yeah, you. I would love my students to be terrified of ever using the library because of the frightening crone that... It's like, a really depressing stereotype because school librarians are like a big part of how J.K. Rowling became a fucking billionaire. <laughs> Yeah. She owes a massive amount of her truly outstandingly large fortune to the existence of wonderful school librarians. School librarians are amazing. The role that school librarians have played in J.K. Rowling's ascent to the like very top echelons of the history of human society, wealth-wise, is absurd. <laughs> 
Uh, and she made that money being very fucking mean about a school librarian. It's like Leslie Nope's stereotype of a librarian from Parks and Rec. <laughs> it is even even less funny though. Uh yeah, the brittle like frigid librarian is like such a I guess well, yeah, let's just fucking call things sexist again uh cuz that's what we do best. Well, it's pod. sexist, but, it is. but it's also it, as a as a writer of children's fiction that's a weird trope to cling to. It's weird. It's weird to make your. It's weird to make like a D-list villain like the fucking librarian. Uh, because you're writing a book that you are going to really deeply hope children's librarians cotton to. <laughs> like they had a very specific role in making you very fucking famous. I guess it adds to the like the the library's sort of like creepy in a way, like you know, because like forbidden knowledge or whatever there's a fucking restricted section which, which doesn't do seem that super restricted yeah that's i don't remember there being a restricted section at my library i mean you'd have to like get a special like pass to like use special collections or whatever you know just because they don't want you like but that's because there's a mis- rare yeah, and you special don't, you know, they not don't because want you like, like spilling a thirst buster on like lincoln's papers or whatever you know yeah um madam pence is a hilarious character this is a very funny scene where she's like, scourge, filth, depravity. <laughs> Do you think Madam Pence and Filch are doing it? No, Filch is completely loyal to Mrs. Norris. Yeah, Filch is definitely doing it with a cat. Or something. I It might just be emotional, like, intimacy. No. I don't think there's a physical component. I think you're totally wrong there. I think she turns back into whatever <laughs> at some time and they do it. Maybe they, like, get along better when she's a cat. I don't know. Whatever it is. Maybe Pince has, like, unrequited love for Filch. Maybe Pince is Mrs. Norris. That thought crossed my mind. Have they ever been in the same room? I don't think so. They've never been in the same scene together. Mrs. Pince doesn't show up very often, and Mrs. Norris doesn't show up very often, and they don't ever show up at the same time. Hot, hot, hot take. Mrs. Pince is Mrs. Norris. It's Madam Pince. Madam Pence is Mrs. Norris. Why why did she change her name to Mrs. Norris? To for the cover To cover up. up her secret identity? Yeah. Filch's catwife, Madam Pence slash alias Mrs. Norris. <laughs> I'm just saying. I actually think they are in the same scene at least once. Uh. I think Mrs. Norris comes into the library and finds Harry doing some bullshit and then Madam Pence like hears it. I just can't believe they couldn't find a better librarian. I mean there doesn't seem to be... We talked about this. There's not even a card catalog. They just have to, like, browse until they find what they're looking for. The Hogwarts library is horribly organized. I mean, they can't find a better anyone. That's Half true. of their teachers are unqualified. <laughs> Maybe the pay at Hogwarts is terrible. No, because Snape says it's pretty good money. That's which true. Which is one of the reasons he stays put. It's well, like kind whatever. of a cushy job. I, Dumbledore just must think it's funny then. I'm sure Dumbledore thinks it's funny. Everything Dumbledore does is like at least half troll. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get a little Twilighty. We meet an actual vampire in these chapters. Sanguini. Sanguini. Bloody McBlood drinker. I'd completely forgotten about this like kind of offhand moment. But it's weird that vampires are super... They seem reasonably well integrated into wizarding society i mean at least to the extent that they sell like 
vampire specific products at the candy store like they sell blood pops at honey dukes yeah vampirism seems to be fairly destigmatized which is weird because wizards love stigmas <laughs> i know he's just at this fucking party he like kind of makes a move toward the group of girls that are sort of like entranced by his vampire sexiness and Eldred's like, oh, no, don't do that, Sanguini. Like, come on, Sanguini, don't bite anybody. Like, it's all right. Uh, like, come over here, buddy. You don't want to talk to them. You know, but that's like all. Yeah. They're not true. like, you no, know, they're like, like not keeping super close watch over Sanguini. Like, Eldred could have like one or two many and sort of like lose track of the guy. And he could be like, so, uh, Ramilda Vane, you want to uh, take a walk? Yeah. Slughorn is excited to have a vampire at his party. Right. It's just like an exoticism to him. Mm-hmm. Where like he'd be pissed if someone brought a werewolf. <laughs> which actually kind of goes back to some of the dichotomies we talked about in the Twilight episode of the vampires being more dangerous but like more sort of genteel. Higher and, like, class. Classy and so more acceptable socially than the werewolves. Mm-hmm. So actually some Twilight parallels here. Also apparently they have sort of like a sexual magnetism that is hard to describe. Even though he's described as like emaciated like and sort of like sallow and scary. The yeah. girls are like, hey, Sanguini. <laughs> Sanguini. Such a good name. Sounds like a pasta. <laughs> it does, or it sounds like a character in Super Mario. I know. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to it's me. It's a me, Sanguini. <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? He's just at the party? It's nice. I, I know it's... He doesn't bite anyone. Yeah, it's just funny. That we know of. Yeah, we don't know. Um, he could do... We don't even know what vampires are capable of in this universe, but apparently they have way more self-control than the Twilight vampires, given that this guy is just at a fucking party. At a school. Yeah, at a school. Yeah. Like also Dumbledore deeply not manning the store. <laughs> oh, aren't there like guards? Yeah. Isn't like isn't this is like a, a high security, high alert? Is time? he considered he must not be considered like a dark creature? Cause like when he was like checking in at the gate or whatever and Filch is like, Who are you? And he's like, I'm Sanguini the vampire. And Filch is like, like, Yeah, All right, cool. Checks out. Go on through. Yeah. Uh, Super weird. Here's a guest pass. Don't bite anyone, please. <laughs> Good God. Contrast that with werewolves who basically, like, live on the margins of society. It seems like, because this guy Warple wrote this whole book about, like, living amongst the vampires. So it seems like vampires mostly keep themselves separate, but... He's very welcome at this party. Yeah. And they, like, a vampire could walk into a fucking store and, like, buy a vampire a specialty product. But werewolves live, like... Basically, like, literally underground, it sounds like. Like, in sewers and stuff. Like, or, like, caves. Yeah, just, like, a w- like totally ostracized living at the fringes of society in, like, pretty dire, in pretty, like, squalid conditions, it sounds like. Yeah. You know? So, a little bit like our Twilight episode, I found myself wishing that there was, instead of the fucking Fantastic Beasts travesty that is the spinoff that we've been given... The spinoff that I actually want is a Fenrir Greyback <laughs> chronicle. Like an anti-hero? Like an anti-hero Fenrir Greyback. He's fascinating. That's one of the most interesting stories about like kind of a dark character that gets told outside of Lord Voldemort's backstory. Lupin's history and 
how it intertwines with Fenrir Greybacks. I just found that really interesting and I found it to be really illuminating of how sad Lupin's lot has been. Yeah. Because it was not, I mean, Lupin is like, I tried really hard to forgive him because I thought he hadn't, he had lost control and he hadn't meant to bite me. And then I learned that he fucking did it on purpose because he was like quarreling with Lupin's dad. Yeah. Although his parents did name him Remus Lupin. So like a little bit courting fate. They named him Wolf Wolf. Wolf Wolf. And then he became a wolf. And they were surprised. They were like, man, that is ironic. (laughs) Yeah, there's some like sexual predator vibes with Fenrir Greyback. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially because, you know, the wolf in like children's fairy tales is like Red Riding Hood type Is definitely like a stand in for like that kind of adult. Yeah, like sexual predator. So I I mean, it just deepens the tragedy of of Lupin because right you know this adds well it adds stigma it adds pain Lupin's from childhood Lupin's life has been really sad Mm -hmm. Lupin has more of a reason than almost any of the other characters to have sort of given up hope on humanity Lupin is a shining light in these books I know for the fact that he has loving kindness toward basically all of his fellow beings Snape yeah. He practices radical forgiveness, except for Fenrir, which makes sense, because, like, Fenrir is not doing anything that would, like, open even a glimmer of a path to forgiveness, you know, like, yeah. but Lupin's uh, just, he tried. He's the very, very best one. Yes, Lupin is, like, one of the most moral characters in in these books. I agree. Um, It's pretty fucked up that Dumbledore is like, hey, buddy, you want to, uh... Go hang out with the werewolves? Yeah, but I mean, right. it's a war. No, I know. People have fucked up war assignments. And, and Lupin is doing... People had to be, like, spies for, like, in communities that had, like, tortured their family members. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Like, All wartime right. asks big shit of us. Well, Lupin's doing his damn best. He is. He's, he's serving his community in a way that few people can. Lupin's really doing his part. Lupin's a good, good man. Mm-hmm. He's a big loss. Dude. I know. Ugh. Well, let's switch gears dramatically. I guess there's books in the Wizarding World. We just recently talked about how, in a, like a few episodes ago, we talked about how it didn't seem like they had any kind of, I mean, of, we like, knew there's books because, like, the Gilderoy Lockhart, like, series. It seems like they only read kind of, like, dishy nonfiction. <laughs> like, fear. fear by, like, yeah, like, Bob Woodward type chronicles or like uh what was the one that came out before that that was even dishier um the the, oh fire and fury yeah that you see more like fire and fury bob wood bob woodward is like a real ass reporter (laughs) these feel more like fire and fury type well all the journalists what's that guy's name um yeah all the journalists are like in the michael wolf model in this uh in this universe also warple kind of smarmy harry Potter, I am simply delighted, said Warple, peering short-sightedly up into Harry's face. I was saying to Professor Slughorn only the other day, where is the biography of Harry Potter for which we have all been waiting? Uh, said Harry, were you? Just as modest as Horace described, said Warple, but seriously. His manner changed. It became suddenly businesslike. I would be delighted to write it myself. People are craving to know more about you, dear boy. Craving. 
If you were prepared to grant me a few interviews, say in four or five hour sessions, my, we could have the book finished within months. And all with very little effort on your part, I assure you. Ask Sanguini here if it isn't quite. Sanguini, stay here. Man, she hates reporters. She hates reporters. Like, there are no good members of the media. Warple is making a reasonable ask here. He's at a party. You're supposed to, like, network. He's like, hey, man, I'm, like, a fairly successful author. Like, how about we do your biography? He's probably assuming somebody else is going to ask. Harry's totally within his rights to, like, say, no, I'm not interested in that, but... Warple has... is There's nothing inherently skeezy about Warple, a professional writer, saying... You are a matter of public interest. You are a person people would like to read about. Would you like me to write your story? I will do it using your words. We will do long form interviews. Yeah. Like, Warple says something super fucking normal. And he is very much portrayed as, like, skeezy. I mean, Harry has, like, some lasting journalist trauma from Rita Skeeter. Yeah, Harry has every right to say no, but... J.K. Rowling definitely portrays him as, like, suspect yeah. in a way that he super isn't. He's a writer. He writes biographies He's friends with a people. vampire, man. He did an actual interview with a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, and Sanguini is, like, buds with him. So it couldn't have been that, like, exploitative and fucked up, if right? If anything, it was, like, access journalism. Like, yeah, Sanguini's there. He's at the party. He... They seem to have become genuine friends through the process of him telling Sanguini's story. Maybe Warple is hypnotized by Sanguini. Maybe Sanguini's gonna kill Warple. Maybe Dude, Sanguini is planning to make Warple a vampire Bella style. This is the spinoff that I want. Sanguini plus Warple on your end. Solving anti-hero. mysteries together. I want like an anti-hero Netflix miniseries <laughs> of like hour and a half long episodes about Fenrir Greyback. Dude, I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, man. Okay. I mean, there's lots of werewolf content out there. I know, if but... If you're into, like, you know, if you're into, like, wolf lit, we could... But it's like, all, like, sexy wolf lit. Like, I, this is, like... This guy's, like, grizzled and terrifying. This is, like, serial killer wolf lit. This is good. Ugh. So good. There's also music. There's Celestina Warback that we participate in. Right, right. Okay, so, yeah, we sort of, like sold wizarding culture short but it doesn't seem like there's high art it also seems like there's one of each thing like you said (laughs) there's one rock band there's one sort of like jazz artist i mean there's one like commercial district in london that everyone has to go to true one last little quibble uh with regard to wizard media the existence of wizarding radio is mystifying to me is this just like am fm radio What is going on here? Yeah, it's weird because Wizarding Society is just as old as Muggle Society, but they seem to have just sort of like copied Muggle technology, but like sort of made it magical. This must be on some kind of magical frequency, right? But like, why would Mr. Weasley not know what electricity was, but they have a wireless radio? (laughs) That they call the wireless. How do they know what wires are? Yeah. Why would they call it the wireless? That doesn't, (laughs) right. What what wires is it less? 
Um, and it's also like all their shit is vintage, but it's all from different eras. <laughs> like they have all this vintage technology, but none of it's from the same time period. So they're just hipsters, basically. Yeah. They're like, oh, we've got uh, fountain pens and we use phonographs, wax, <laughs> wax to seal our uh, record, uh, not records. We use wax to seal our letters and uh, there's a blacksmith running around somewhere. I don't know. Like, well, anyway, having radio, you're right. Totally irrational and, not and a television. strange choice. And no television, right. They're okay with radio, but not television. And no phones. I and know the pictures move around, but so far, not seeing any, like, superior substitute for television. No, certainly not. Not that television's the be-all, end-all, but I mean, you know, wizards at this time... Muggles at this time are enjoying, uh... Friends. Like Friends is just coming out, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> actually, what year did Friends debut? In the 90s. Yeah, I mean, wizard Muggles are about to get Friends. If Friends aren't out technically in the timeline right now, you know, there's other good television on. Uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, Seinfeld's on. They could be watching Seinfeld instead Meanwhile, of listening to the Celestina Warbeck. listening to exactly, like, 1950s sort of, like, soul it's not even soul just is crooners it? crooners yeah i mean that's fine but i mean when they discover bing crosby and rosemary clooney they're gonna lose their shit dude that movie is so good white christmas y'all it's kind of problematic it's not as problematic as holiday inn <laughs> but it has two of the best dance numbers on film so hot tip Holiday Inn. I know it's a little bit post this season for Holiday Inn, but it's on Netflix. Yeah, we started recording this episode before Christmas, and now it's after Christmas because of uh, technical difficulties. Long-standing technical difficulties. We lost about half of this episode and are now recording, like, the last half. So if it sounds weird. So, yeah, if we sound older and wiser than we did at the beginning of this episode, that's because this was recorded... In two parts. And if we sound exhausted, that's because we were just home with our families for a week. Who we love, but it was a lot of activity. Your mom got a limited edition Quibbler tote bag for Yeah, Christmas she loved it. Made Your sister made it. my sister, another loyal Quibbler listener. And, and the best dang crafter out there. So good. Better than Molly Weasley, I might venture. And she does it without magic. Yeah, word. She could probably knit a snitch onto a sweater, which is Harry's very cool Christmas present this year. Absolutely, she could. She knitted us a literal snitch. On a blanket. Not on a blanket. Well, yes, on a blanket and also like a crocheted snitch. A 3D crocheted That's crocheted. It's a whole other thing with needles. Yeah, it's another thing. Anyway. Fleur doesn't get a Weasley sweater. Yeah, but she would hate it. Yeah, that's true. To be fair to Mrs. Weasley, she's like, why would I spend my time and energy making something for someone that's gonna fucking despise it they need to diffuse this they need to de-escalate we were tensions with fleur we were dunking on molly and the other weasleys earlier but fleur is not being very nice in these chapters either maybe because molly is being horrible to her i don't know both sides seem to be increasingly to blame agreed So, speaking of both sides being increasingly to blame, (laughs) fucking Ron and Hermione need to get a grip. No invite, said Parvati gloomily. I'd love to go, though. 
It sounds like it's going to be really good. You're going, aren't you? Yes. I'm meeting Cormac at eight, and we're... There was a noise like a plunger being withdrawn from a block sink, and Ron surfaced. Hermione acted as though she had not seen or heard anything. We're going up to the party together. Cormac, said Parvati. Cormac McLagan, you mean? That's right, said Hermione sweetly. The one who almost, she put a great deal of emphasis on the word, became Gryffindor Keeper. Are you going out with him then? asked Parvati wide-eyed. Oh, yes, <laughs> didn't you know? said Hermione, with a most un-Hermione-ish giggle. No, said Parvati, looking positively agog at this piece of gossip. Wow, you like your Quidditch players, don't you? First Crumb, then McLagan. I like really good Quidditch players, Hermione corrected her, still smiling. Well, see you. Got to go and get ready for the party. We have been talking about this for three episodes now, but... God, they are petty and horrible in these chapters. And I don't know which of them is being worse. I would actually venture that Hermione is being worse, which is a rare HP Dubs moment. Yeah, so worse than it. Ron. Well, Ron just got a girlfriend. Ron actually did nothing wrong here. Ron, hashtag Ron did nothing wrong. He didn't. Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean. Ron started going out with a perfectly regular, nice gal who is a completely acceptable first girlfriend for him. And super into him. Right, and Hermione lost her darn mind, even though she had no claim to Ron. All she had done was bitchily suggest that she considered asking him out. <laughs> Like, Hermione has no excuse for being so petulant and childish in this chapter. Also, going out with Cormac McLaggen is a fucking low blow and actively stupid. Because he's terrible, and all she's doing is making her time worse. That's true. Ron is, like, briefly irritated, but then he immediately macks on Lavender for, like, six hours straight, and he's fine. <laughs> Uh, Cormac is an example, a rare example in these books of a sexually aggressive male. So we said that it's weird that none of the guys are horny in these books. Well, Cormac definitely is because he tries to get it on with Hermione under the mistletoe, which she does not appreciate. We didn't say none of them are horny. We just said that none of them are sexually aggressive. I mean, they don't seem to show too much interest in women and still... Okay, Harry's getting... Harry's getting that monster in his chest yeah, or Harry's whatever. Yeah, Harry's getting really... Which is the grossest way to describe <laughs> the emerging feelings of, like, sexual desire his boner. I can imagine. His boner is a monster. I guess, yeah. To be fair, boners are monsters. <laughs> um, uh, Harry is having wet dreams about uh, Ginny, so I guess, yeah, Harry's... Ew. Yeah, I guess he is, huh? He just says he's heartily glad that Ron can't practice legitimacy so he can find out what he's dreaming about Ginny. Yeah. Not super innocent. No, no indeed. Um, Going back really quickly, sorry, to Ron and Hermione's shenanigans. There's this great moment with Luna, who is like our great truth teller in these books, when she's like, she's not passing judgment or gossiping. She's like, huh, Ron's pretty funny. But he's not super nice. 
And Harry's like, that was uncomfortably accurate. Uh, (laughs) Why do you say shit like that? But Luna's got him pegged. He's hilarious, but he isn't being nice. He's a dick sometimes. Hermione is, I still say, being more obnoxious here than he is, but he's not being kind to her. No. Also, it's super cute when Harry asks Luna to the dance and she asks him if he dyed his eyebrow for the occasion and if she should dye hers. But they were just practicing like transfigure, like bodily transfiguration, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so on the flip side of Cormac McLaggen, Romilda Vane is just not a believable character. Why not? Just this like, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I remember girls behaving pretty absurdly in the service of like getting a boyfriend when I was this age. But this idea of these packs of like genuinely menacing teen girls like harassing guys is that something that is familiar to you from your middle school and high school days i mean i was never the target of that but i wasn't exactly what you would consider like i don't know a number one like prospect i just like we all had crushes and we were like dumb about them but this idea of harry being in like danger from these girls is again just sort of absurd. I do think men would be more likely to scheme with the uh with the love potions. Yeah. Maybe not more likely or as likely. I don't know. What do you think? It's just confusing to me that she has positioned girls as the primary sexual aggressors in high school. I, I like I said, I know we've talked about this before, but I just find the dynamics here mystifying and and inaccurate. Yeah, none of the men are ever scheming to, like, get any... How can I say this in a way that's not creepy since we're talking about teenagers, but... Uh, but we're talking about <laughs> teenagers who are discovering sex. Yeah, yeah. None of the guys are, like, hardly... Except for, with the exception of Cormac, none of the guys are ever, like, trying to get some action, basically. Well, also, Cormac, like is really fucking rude and behaves unacceptably, but isn't trying to, like, like... Roofie her? He's not trying to roofie Hermione. Right. He just, like, comes at her way too physically aggressively and shouldn't. Right. Should be reading the signals. But he's kind of tame compared to what Romilda is planning here. Right, right. Uh... I like when Hermione says that love potions aren't dark, which is why the dark detectors aren't catching them. And her, uh, Harry's like, uh, I beg to differ. Yeah. These things are finna fuck me up. Dude, love potions are so sinister. The boys are just uh, like terrorized by girls in these chapters. I know. And, and then, it's mystifying. Yeah. I guess the character of Romilda being like, really scheming hard to like get Harry is like believable but this idea of like just that there's like every girl dozens of every girls. girl in Hogwarts is part of this like weird like sex cabal poor Parvati doesn't get invited to the party which is really surprising because she cute yeah and it's cute that Harry invites Luna like as a friend but Harry should ask Parvati out again she seems cool they yeah, like, can have a conversation. She's Lavender's friend, and therefore she's a dum dum. Parvati actually doesn't seem like a dum dum at all. 
She's I mean, a, she's not a dumb dumb. Well, let's actually talk. Neither about, is Lavender. Let's talk about Lavender a little bit because there is no characterization of this girl. Except, Lavender plays a kind of major part, except that she really wants to jump on Ron's broomstick. And that she laughs a lot, which I just don't think being someone who laughs a lot is at all a bad characteristic. <laughs> I don't understand how, like, sense of humor, thinks things are funny, like, likes to talk to her friends. Like, how are any of those negative qualities? I know. I don't also, know. Also, McClagan has had more lines. We've heard no dialogue from Lavender Well, Brown. that's because she's always macking on Ron. I know, but we get dialogue from all these other weirdos. Yeah, I know. It's... I guess we've had more of Lavender overall. Well, I mean, Lavender's been in all six books. Right. But even then, Lavender's had maybe five lines. That's true. We don't know anything about Lavender's inner life whatsoever. And I know we can't spend too much time there, but this is just a vast disservice to what seems like a perfectly lovely young woman. I mean, I guess, yeah, we're meant to think she's just basic as hell, right? Yeah, but... Except they all drink pumpkin spice lattes, so... I also just like... Or pumpkin juice. I think it's really obnoxious that being basic is this like deep, profound flaw. Like there's nothing wrong with liking shit that's popular and wanting to make out. (laughs) I don't understand how that makes you like an insufficient human being. Her treatment of Lavender is problematic as shit in this book. It's really unfair. There I'm, doesn't seem to be anything wrong with Lavender I mean, Brown. yeah, she's just sort of an obstacle, right? To yeah, be... but she's dating an available boy. Yeah. And that does not make her a bad person. Right. And she gets Ron like a kind of dumb present. But to be fair, middle and high schoolers get each other shitty presents. My middle school boyfriend got me a rose dipped in solid gold. That's a luxe present. It was luxe and insane. Like, that's that's a weird present. I mean, you just, you give weird presents at that age. Because, like, you think it's supposed to be, like, really romantic and, like, kind of, like, splashy. And, yeah, it's stupid to get Ron a necklace. But it was stupid to get me a gold-dipped rose. <laughs> like, I don't think he listens, so I'm sorry if this is hurting your feelings. It was, like... From, like, Sky Mall. Right, okay. Like, Sky Mall! Like, <laughs> like, it wasn't literally Sky Mall, but it was the kind of thing you'd find in Sky Mall. Right. Which is kind of what this necklace is. Do you still have that rose? Yeah, it's in storage. Yeah, I still have it. It's in storage, like, in my parents' storage unit. And when the last petal falls and I haven't found true love, I'll die. Something like that. Or I think that's how it works. Or become a monster. I think... No, you stay a monster. Um, I don't know. Am I a monster now? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, there's just no, none of these are actual character flaws. Right. And they're being presented as character flaws. I guess all the kids sort of seem insubstantial compared to Harry, Hermione, and to a lesser extent Ron, because those three are literally dealing with the most important problems in, like, the entire wizarding world. But I don't Lavender's think that's just true out here fair. living her life. No, Luna is given a lot that's more true. space. Ginny, Neville fucking Cormac like (laughs) there's other characters with like motivations and like inner lives Cormac's not portrayed positively though I know but you have a better sense of what the fuck is going on with Cormac than you do Lavender is just a cipher she's nothing she's just an obstacle standing in the way of the great love story of Ron and Hermione stupid characters being stupid to each other (laughs) 
They're not stupid characters. No, I know, but they're being nightmare people they're to being, one another. They're being pretty bad. They're, no, they're great characters. They're a terrible couple. If Ron, well, I guess Ron does marry. No, does he marry Lavender? Who does he marry in the, Padma in the alternate timeline? Yeah, how does that happen? Anyway, I don't know. Uh, and he's bummed out, and I guess whatever. He and Hermione are meant to be, but like, blech. I don't know. Teens are weirdos, right? I know, but weirdos. I don't think it's fair to make Lavender seem dumb just because she's fucking normal. Maybe we're seeing it through Harry's eyes. I mean, we are seeing it through Harry's eyes, but it's fucking rude of Harry to find Lavender dumb just because she's normal. <laughs> Lavender's fine. She's been nothing but nice to him. That's true. She, like, has... She talked behind his back about all the Professor Trelawney shit. She, like, buys into Professor Trelawney. Okay, so she has a favorite teacher. Yeah, also lots of people believe in, like, horoscopes. And again, that doesn't make them stupid. People just have interests that aren't, like magical law enforcement (laughs) and or like defeating evil all the time uh did we need to say anything about snape and draco oh i forgot that even happens um no i mean it's interesting because the like plot propulsion is sort of the most boring part of this book like that's the the main thing going on in some ways but it's kind of dull yeah, at this point, there's been so many, like, red herrings with Draco and Snape that I'm sort of like, all right, just let me, like, wake me up at the end. Let me know what happens. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's a <laughs> Let's little get boy who cried party. wolf. Yeah. Right. I'm, like, much more interested in, like, the hormonal chaos than I am in Draco's, like, shenanigans. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't know if I have much to say about that other than, like, y'all trust Snape now. Just you wait, Henry Higgins. It's about to get bad (laughs) back to lubin being a good person it's like fucking cool that he doesn't hate snape but it's also ends up being kind of dumb it is funny when lupin is like dumbledore trusts snape we have to trust dumbledore's judgment and harry's like should we yeah harry's (laughs) like has dumbledore actually always been right (laughs) like let's just briefly consider no. Dumbledore has allowed this school to become overgrown with mistletoe, and you're telling me... <laughs> that he has the best judgment in the world? Yeah, but whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is weird because it's like the plot. Yeah. Well, but I don't really have anything interesting to add about Lupin and... I mean, about Snape and Draco. It's hilarious that Snape came to this party in the first place. I know. It's also hilarious that Draco is very sullenly like, Crab and Goyle were supposed to be there. And Snape's like, they're dumbasses. They are not good companions for somebody trying to do the hardest thing in the wizarding world. They are not going to be helpful. (laughs) Snape is down though, right? Like, he gets really into sports. He, like, yeah, shows up Snape, to this party. If Snape didn't have this, like, really annoying amount of baggage, like, Snape would be fine. Yeah, why does he go to the party? It's hilarious that he's at the party. And he doesn't seem like he's compelled to be there for no. any reason. He's just like, let me meet this fucking vampire. Free oh. drinks, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, open bar. Trelawney's there. there being super, like, bigoted against centaurs. And wasted. And wasted on cooking sherry again gross trelawney i recently it's an open bar i know right? i recently tasted... I, I assume it's an open bar it's slug sorry go ahead it's an open bar 
I assume it's an open bar, right? I mean, Slughorn isn't cheap. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's an open bar. It's probably sponsored by, like, Wizarding Patron or whatever. Fire Whiskey. Fire Whiskey, yeah. Uh, Ogden's Old Fire Whiskey. I recently tasted cooking sherry because we were cooking with sherry, and I literally thought about Professor Trelawney and was curious. Vile. It's foul. (laughs) It's disgusting. It's like drinking vinegar. Yeah. But not like good like apple cider vinegar even, which I don't mind drinking because it's good for your gut bacteria. It also has antifungal properties. Well, I mean, it's basically magical. I know. I wash my hair with it sometimes. Oh. Yeah. So... Harry is getting his Holden Caulfield on because he hates phonies or anyone who he suspects of being kind of like false or trying to use him. Yeah, he has all this trauma from his like very early, not very early, but from his sort of like childhood fame and especially I feel like from book four and how poorly people treated him and how much their treatment of him changed as he started to like win the tournament and all this shit now being the chosen one he's just like he doesn't want people to like want to be close to him for like fake reasons and that's a good reason for him to really resent Romilda I mean a like she's trying to drug him which (laughs) once again not a super believable plot point but she doesn't like him I mean it's a It can be Harry's kind of self-righteousness in this respect can be a little annoying, but I think it's an overall pretty strong character trait because he's, like, really hard to take advantage of by this point uh, in in the series. You know, his skepticism serves him well, so that's also why he asks Luna to come to Slughorn's party. Uh, He's attracted to people that are just, like genuine well one of the reasons Even if they're weirdos yeah one of the reasons harry surrounds himself with like kind of odd and like outcasty people is because they're less likely to be kind of glad handy like he likes neville he likes luna he likes fucking ron <laughs> like they don't want to be near him because he's famous and important because they're not that's just not their personality right even ron who actually like sort of desperately craves notoriety himself is actually resentful of Harry's fame likes him despite the fact that he's famous right and is not close with him primarily or even a tiny bit because he's like the chosen one or whatever so no I think this is a totally believable and um kind of thoughtful characteristic of Harry's and it is very Holden Caulfield and it has that fun kind of like YA hero vibe of like having you know the young person that kind of has his eyes wide open to the like guiles of grown-ups it's hard one for harry though i think oh yeah and it's it's really genuine yeah i think it's really believable i like that aspect of uh of harry's character even though sometimes it's like dude just like go with the flow for like five minutes harry just has no reason ever to go with the flow No, i know because the flow is moving him inexorably toward death (laughs) I mean, it's moving us all inexorably toward death, but his is going to be violent and early. Oof. Well, I mean, according to the prophecy. The thing that is sad to me is that the one person Harry is 100% sure isn't a phony and isn't using him is using him the most of all, which is Dumbledore. Yeah. Like, Harry's trust in Dumbledore is a real blind spot. 
and is the most fundamental and profound blind spot of basically all the characters in this book. Like Dumbledore's up to some shit and it's like complicated and it's for the greater good and blah 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 but Harry thinks that Dumbledore has his best interests at heart which sort of fundamentally isn't true right like he has the wizarding world's best interests at heart and those happen to be at direct odds with Harry's survival but that those are sort of Harry and Dumbledore's shared interest because Harry doesn't put himself first Almost no, ever. But Harry doesn't want to be blindly sacrificed. That's, yeah, okay, that makes and sense. And Harry doesn't think that Dumbledore is sacrificing him, and Dumbledore definitely is. Yeah. So when there's that scene, or when there's that part with Scrimgeour at the end, where he's like, you're Dumbledore's man through and through, and Harry's like, absolutely, it's like, actually kind of sad, because this is a huge blind spot for Harry. And better to trust Dumbledore than kind of anyone else in these books, with the exception of, like, Lupin, I guess. But then Lupin trusts Dumbledore blindly, so. Everybody trusts Dumbledore. Yeah, I mean, I guess who would we trust above Dumbledore? The only one who's operating with full information is Snape. That's true, and Snape is also fundamentally untrustworthy for Harry, because he actively hates him. (laughs) And, like, doesn't care if he dies. Yeah. Although he ends up kind of weirdly caring more than Dumbledore. Yeah. If Harry dies. Yeah. Ugh, this is complicated. Boy, we'll have ample opportunity to discuss all of that. Yeah. So the great example of the phony that we encounter in these chapters that Harry is just like, no fucking thank you, is Rufus Scrimgeour himself. Dude, Rufus Scrimgeour, this whole ploy with like, Percy and wanting to take a walk around the garden and oh this young man looks like he's finished with supper I've Uh, never seen Harry Potter in my life who could this be is Scrimgeour drunk because this is like when you think you're being super fucking cool when you're doing something when you're drunk that's true it does have that vibe well first of all no one can see me sneaking away or whatever uh using the weasley family trauma of losing percy for like five minutes alone with harry potter that proves totally fruitless is really dastardly (laughs) this is a mean mean little plot he's cooked up i think it's very deeply upsetting it's upsetting and he completely botches it. Yeah, it's Isn't Scrimgeour supposed to be a pretty good politician? Yeah, and in some ways, like, if Harry were a slightly different person, this might have worked. Right. But he doesn't do any research. No. He's just like, oh, maybe I can, like, get you away from Dumbledore. And it's like, you could have asked one person. You literally could have asked Percy. Like, hey, is Harry Potter going to go behind Dumbledore's back? You walked over here with Percy. You could have done some very, very brief reconnaissance with this kid that actually knows Harry Potter pretty well. And he'll be like, fuck no, man. He's not doing that. He drops Dolores Umbridge's name. Oh, my God. And then Harry shows him the scar. And he's like, reminder, minister, I must not tell lies. And you're like... Dang! Dang! That is ice cold. Just like Uh, the words in the scar. Yeah, dude. That's one of Harry Potter's, like, top five, like, owns. Scrimgeour just got owned. Also, LOL that Umbridge, and Percy for that matter, are still working at the Ministry of Magic. Percy is just completely incompetent. Umbridge has proven herself evil (laughs) why does this bitch have a job it's like 
I I know we've used this metaphor before, but it's like after the financial crisis or whatever, and like everyone just keeps their jobs. Like nobody yeah. nobody goes to jail or gets fired or it's, it's like, actually <laughs> more like everybody keeping their jobs after they tortured a bunch of people, which also happens. That yes, that also. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> wow. We're no better than the wizards. Um. Just nobody, dude, the wizarding deep state just, like, remains in place. Completely. And Harry's like, (laughs) Harry's like, why the fuck would I trust you guys? I didn't see any of you standing up for me last year like you all thought I was crazy. Right. What universe would make me think that the ministry, like, had my best interests at heart? And Scrimgeour is like, you know, it'd really, like, do us a solid if you, like, first of all, like, when the fuck is this, like, 16-year-old going to, like, drop by the Ministry of Magic? Like, what is the timing really, here, even? I could see the Ministry, like, definitely has pretty good reasons to, like, cultivate Harry Potter and, like, get his advice on stuff. Especially if they think he literally is the Chosen One. But all Scrimgeour wants is just to, like, use him in this as this weird, like propaganda like Harry tool nails like, it he's like you want a mascot right but like it seems like they could actually be doing more with Harry Potter oh yeah no they should be like bringing him into like defense briefings yeah they, like, they, Harry like, should be actually helping this them. is the only thing they want from Harry Potter they should be like giving him yeah like he like, should training. be like yeah no Harry should be like a junior Auror. but he just wants like good press clippings i, know, I don't it's know totally this is a terrible weird. plan it this is. plan sucks no and harry he should have secretly invited harry into like actual conversation with like the defense department they don't even seem fully aware of the prophecy they aren't fully aware of the prophecy he comes basically right. to probe like are you really the chosen one and harry's like i'm not gonna fucking tell you that but the ministry should be getting to the bottom of this because that's crucial intelligence they're clearly not doing anything to and dumbledore is just sort of like also, Being like Mr. Vigilante on the side, like I, these books are hilariously anti-government. I like, know, they're and so anti-press, kind of, and I mean, just like so, anti-systems. They're so skeptical. They're like, it's funny because like Rowling herself is sort of like Miss like kind of liberal progressive, and her books are like super libertarian in a lot of ways. Well, they're very like. They're very, like, into, like, the meritocracy and sort of, like, rugged individualism. Like, all this stuff that is actually really misaligned with her stated political views. I don't know. She's interesting. Like, she's against the common wheel (laughs) in a kind of bizarre way. But to be fair, she has created a government that provides zero social services. Right. And is basically just a deep state. Just, like, the intelligence, yeah, it's an intelligence community and, like, weird regulatory bodies. And, <laughs> it's like, sort of the worst of both worlds, it actually. Is. It's totally bizarre. <laughs> Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Professor Horace Slughorn for throwing a party that, I, it sounds pretty lit, you know? Like, this was the event of the season. Everyone was talking about it. He got, like, legit celebrities there. Harry thinks he sees, like, a member of the Weird Sisters. I don't know. It sounds like it was, like, bumping. Yeah, also he has a very good hat. Sort of like a tasseled fez. <laughs> I love it. Um, even The party was so good, even Snape was like, oh, damn, I really can't miss that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of hats, the twins get Mrs. Weasley a witch's hat with diamonds on it. 
as a Christmas present. I mean, that sounds like it looks wild. It's an awesome present. <laughs> They're so ostentatious. I love them. They're new money, man. Uh, they are. They're like the epitome of like Wizard Nouveau Riche. They're like the only new money in the wizarding world. My unsung hero is the gnome that has the distinct disadvantage of getting caught, stupefied, and dressed up as an angel and put on the Christmas tree because I just think that's hilarious. And it's, you know, it's a hard office, but somebody's got to be the angel. Poor buddy. He has a, he has this disgusting potato head that they've just dyed gold. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. I mean, he sounds like he kind of deserves it. He bites one of the twins pretty hard. Yeah, but, you know, they're trying to, like, throw them that's across true. the yard. I don't know. I'm glad the gnomes are back. I, I miss love those guys. the gnomes when he's slurping up the worm like spaghetti, and Harry's just like watching that instead of listening to Scrimgeour. <laughs> so funny. This week's episode is brought to you by Blood Brothers: My Life Amongst the Vampires by Eldred Warple. Available uh, wherever magical books are sold, I'm sure. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you do so. If that happens to be Apple Podcasts, you can rate and review us there. You can send us an email. Shoot us your e-owls at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We once had a newsletter. We might have one again. It might be fun to sign up for it to see if it ever arrives in your inbox. That is tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. And um, you can find us on social media. Do... Uh, Reach out however you like. We're at Quibbler Podcast across the platforms. Next episode, we will be reading the chapters called A Sluggish Memory and Birthday Surprises from, once again, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Thanks, amigos. There isn't anyone I want to invite, mumbled Harry who was still trying not to think about Ginny any more than he could help, despite the fact that she kept cropping up in his dreams in ways that made him devoutly thankful that Ron could not perform legilimency. Sanguini, stay here.